Thank you for downloading this Brum Radio podcast. For more podcasts, visit brumradio.com. But this time I'm going to fool somebody. I'm going to stay in this race. I'm on my own and I'm out for blood. Now listen to me, you hicks. Listen to me and lift up your eyes and look at God's blessed and unfly blown truth. And this is the truth. You're a hick. And nobody ever helped a hick but a hick himself. All right, listen to me, listen to me. I'm the hick they were going to use to split the hick vote. But I'm standing right here now on my hind legs. Even a dog can learn to do that. Are you standing on your hind legs? Have you learned to do that much yet? Well, well, it's been a while since we've heard that sound, isn't it? The sound of the theme to Scream Brum, because we are back. We have been away. It's been a, a, a funny old few months for your uh, your correspondence here on the Scream Brum show. We've missed being on air and we've missed you a great deal, but we are now back. You may have noticed a few things have changed. One is that it's Monday today. Um, we are um, we are trying out a new slot. Um, we hope if you haven't, if you're listening to us for the first time and you haven't heard the show before, um, stay with us because um, you're going to love it. We play great music from films and we talk about films and TV, um, but we do so all around a theme. And each uh, week we choose a different theme and we talk about what the movies have taught us about it. Now, the clue to this week's theme uh, may be in that clip you heard at the beginning, which was from uh, 1946, I think it is, um, All the King's Men, which was suggested by one of our correspondents, um, because the theme is elections. Now, everyone loves talking about elections because, you know, they're just such (laughs) rare occurrences. Um, Yeah, I mean, I I have a feeling we've done elections before because um, I calculated if you count the referendum, we've been to the polls four times in four years. Which, uh, which you know, feels like quite a lot. Um, far too many. Uh, far too many discuss. So, but, but don't worry, we're not going to be sitting here. This isn't a part of political broadcast. We're not going to be talking politics. We're just going to be talking about, you know, polling on screen. Um, and um, we're going to be doing so in the company of myself, that's Blake, and my co-host here, Tim Wilson. Hello, Tim. Hello. How are you? I'm feeling really happy to be back. I just sat in this chair about 10 minutes ago for the first time in months. Mm. And it feels like it's the right place to be. Back home, back and, home. And fresh on a Monday rather than tired on a Friday. I, 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 I'm down with that. Right? Excellent, excellent. It was well, my choice anyway, wasn't it? We hope, that, <laughs> we hope that you are too. You may also notice, those of you that are regular listeners, there is a third voice missing. Um, that is that of Lucy Beth, who is the, the, uh, the voice of, of sanity and reason. Uh, the expert. Usually, the expert. The one who knows something um, about film. She's not with us uh, this week. Uh, she is uh, enjoying a break because she has been um, working hard on the Cine Excess Film Festival and is now uh, taking a short break. So um, she's not with us, but don't worry, she will be back soon. And uh, we hope she's listening. And if you are, Lucy, um, do come back to us soon because, um, frankly, we don't know what we're doing. No. Okay, um, so this, the theme, as we say, is elections. If you have any thoughts about 
uh, elections on screen, TV, film, uh, computer game, books, whatever whatever it is, you know, mainly anything with a screen. I'm looking forward to the computer game suggestions for this. I bet there are some, you know. Yeah. I bet there are some good ones, you know. There's computer games for every subject out there, aren't there? There's mm. pro-celebrity pro fishing, so I'm sure there's a an election one. If you're getting satirical, technically, elections are computer games. <sighs> A little bit deep, a little bit deep. Um, uh, well, I'm going to play some. Uh, I'm going to play some music to get us in the mood. Um, and tweet us if you'd like to let us know your favourite uh, election films or anything that you, uh, any comments you have, um, and let us know what you think of our selections. The Twitter is at Screen Brum, and uh, you can email us. I think it's Screen Brum. Now, what is it? Info at screenbrum.co.uk. Correct. Yeah, so you can tell we've been off for a while, haven't we? Um, let's have this music that I've been banging on about, and um, we'll be back soon. I want to be elected. I want to be elected. That is Alice Cooper, of course. Um, again, if you're new to the show, you may not be aware that everything we play is taken from a film soundtrack. And the film that that is a soundtrack to is um, a documentary called Inside... haven't seen it, to be honest. Inside Deep Throat, which I assume is about Watergate. Judging by the picture of the poster, possibly it's about something else. But um, that's it's about water game. Yeah, it's about water. It game. is. Yeah, is it? It is. All oh, right. Okay. <laughs> Shows what I haven't seen it. I know, but there we go. Um, and uh, Watergate, of course, all the president's men would be one of the one of a classic choices about elections. But the reason that um, we're going to be really, really picky on our choices of, of films around elections is we're going to make sure the election is central. So it is not something where an election is happening in the background, or it is. It's it films and TV about elections we've 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 looked at the white house in the past we've looked at politics in the past but this is very specifically elections because you know we are in the midst of one and tim are you a fan of the election as a as a as a time in your life you know do you do you look forward to them are you a fan or do you ignore it's happening um i have i i come from a fairly political family okay um and i i think I always want to try and be aware of what's what we're voting for and being mm. aware of that. Um, I have, we live in unusual times. Certainly do. Um, I, you know, I will always stand up and say, you know, everyone should vote and blah de blah. Um, movies are meant to highlight um, fictional and factual, uh, fictional, and, fictional and factual. They're meant to highlight. Um, uh, particular circumstances, weird outlet out there, um, controversial elements. Mm. You know, election movie, elections and movies do all of that. But we live in such a world now that every film I've picked was from a long was was in that pre twenty sixteen world where yeah where, uh, where the world was a very bad. different where yeah where fact wasn't stranger than fiction. Uh, and it is funny now. Actually, some of the films that I've looked at and some of the films i've selected actually are precursors to things that are going on in the world now and well there or, is or not even as weird as that there is there I, certainly I, I, is a lot of that yeah I and think. it's it's certainly it's bizarre pick talking about election movies when you know when when we're looking at these things as pieces of whatever satire or foretelling that uh, yeah 
they almost they they are they sort of um harken back to gentler times they do it's funny in, isn't in, it you think regard, you know, oh, or better times i don't know i don't want to say that we well have, you we, know we, we have to look forward we are right? going to look forward we're going to be yeah. positive i have a very particular professional um eye on on elections as well because um believe it or not i spent 20 years working as a Sophologist. That's not what my job title was, but a pollster. I um, worked it's much easier word, in mate. opinion polling. Uh, I worked for some of the big opinion poll companies, and I, um, you know, is my job. And and so I have been very much involved with this. I remember the nineteen ninety seven general election very vividly because it was the first time we'd done it electronically um, and it was all done by computer and email and stuff and no one in the company was allowed to send an email that day in case we crashed the system because everything was relying on these kind of things working and mm. computer systems were not as, as reliable as they were then so um so yes i'm always interested in the way that that polling is represented and the way that, that these things are are talked about so i am um going to be offering my consultancy services today if anyone has any questions about polls and how they work and why they're done the way they're done and which ones are accurate and which one what to look out for send your questions in because i actually you know for a change know something about that subject so there we go um so we are looking uh, at elections today shall we go straight in with with our first choices Tim. Yes. Do you want to go first? Um, okay. Um, now I'm going to go with a documentary, and it is from 1993, the film The War Room. Yeah. Have you seen this? Yes, I have. Oh, good. Um, it's yes. Not on my list, so you'll be glad to know I'm not going to duplicate you. There. Excellent. Even better. <laughs> so this is a, a film, a documentary made about Bill Clinton's successful election campaign of 1992. It's directed by Chris Hedges and D. A. Pennebaker. D. A. Pennebaker. You may already have heard of, um, he directed a lot of um, music documentaries, including the Bob Dylan classic, Don't Look Back. Um, and uh, the journalists were embedded with the election campaign and um, and filmed it. It's interesting with these things. Often you find that they, you know, they, they film thousands of hours and they edit it down. Um, I was reading about it yesterday. Apparently they only filmed 35 hours of footage and edited it in. So they obviously got all the right stuff or it was drama all the time because it's a fascinating, um, interesting, fun film um, about an election campaign. And I think I I saw it not long after it came out in 93. um, And as I say, I worked in in the kind of uh, very tangentially in the field. Um, It felt like... Um, a new type of politics being shown in front of us. It was, it was, it was perhaps the era where big data is starting to come in, and they're starting to understand, you know, how to press the buttons of different types of of, of the audience, and are trying to appeal to different sorts of people. You know, Bill Clinton's campaign was incredibly um, sophisticated, and it, and they they tailored they they they. Uh, trailblazed a lot of these kind of policies of, of you know understanding who the people are and making sure that you know if, if if you know that your audience are into you know potential voters are into a certain subject you are seen doing that you know listening to that music or whatever um which some people can take as, as, a, as a very cynical point of view that you know this is just turning uh, politics into a kind of um button pressing game and there's, there's no ideology behind it i'm certainly not going to to express too much of opinion on the political side of it um but it's it's just a, a great film um about the inside of a political campaign you know i don't think we'd really seen it in the same way it's good to watch alongside primary colors um if you have 
uh, if that's on your list, Tim, I don't know. It's on my mentions. Okay, list. because um, th- obviously that that also dealt with Primary Colors was a Mike Nichols film that dealt with um, a, a, what they call a Romano Clef, which is a a novel which was a fictionalized version of reality. So it's not it's not actually supposed to be the Clinton. Well, it's not explicitly the Clinton campaign, but it's very similar, um, and it and it runs sort of you know parallel to this. It's quite good to see alongside it. The other thing that the, the War Room has interested me is there was a big controversy in two thousand and eight where some. Um, Scenes from this were, were apparently doctored to make it sound like the people in it were saying offensive things. Um, and it, again, this is a kind of precursor to what we're now having in this whole deep fake thing where you can you can you can doctor videos and these videos are flying around the Internet super fast with with, you know, weird editing going on and things that seem and we just don't know whether we can believe our eyes anymore. You know, and I think that's this is again as a kind of a precursor to that. This idea of of manipulation as being so sort of sophisticated um, that that we are we are presented. But you know, whether or not that's a bad thing, I'm not going to say it is necessarily because you know the audience has become much more sophisticated. You know, I'm sure young people today are not um, as as sort of um, open to believing everything that they see than perhaps uh, other people are. Anyway. That's my opinion. Tim, what do you think? You've seen it then? Yes, I have seen it. Do you like uh, the film? I do like the film. Um, I think I also quite like how the film uses the media coverage as part of the... Uh, also like how the film... Yes, I'm so, so new, it's been a while since I've been back. It's so forgotten to use a microphone. I've forgotten to actually talk into a microphone. That's good. Yeah. Um, it's going well. It's going very well. Carry on. <laughs> uh, it was... I really love the fact that an American, an American presidential candidate would allow, would allow filmmakers. Um, even though they got, oh, is it thirty plus hours of footage? You'd yeah. think it'd be a heck of a lot more. Yeah. Um, and it was at the start of that process, the Democratic primaries, where they were allowed into this, into this. I love that they call it the war room, but yeah. it is. And th- this machine, you get to see a machine in full operation. This complete understanding of metrics, understanding of messaging, understanding of what works, where to be. It was evidently, I reckon, it would have been a really big influence on a lot of the films that were about to come out in the 90s, as we're about, I'm going to talk about one shortly, and also the world of Sorkin and all that kind mm. of stuff. It, it really brought to the fore um, the kind of next level of understanding of how political machinery works at that level. And the idea that... that that the candidate is possibly one of the least interesting or least important people in there in some ways. You know, the candidate is kind of just sort of doing their thing. Then the people behind the scenes, and again, is is, is tying in with the kind of Aaron Sorkin view of this, you know, it's, it's the kind of the backroom people that are really yeah. interesting, the ones that are at the coalface sort of dealing with the fires and, and all the rest of it. Um, oh, well that, well, that is my first choice, The War Room, uh, 1993's, documentary um and uh, tim would you like to would you like to tell us know what your choice is yeah i'm going to chip in because keeping on the theme of sort of that kind of era i thought i'd throw in the american president um mm. uh, on the surface this is a rom-com right very much this is aaron sorkin michael douglas michael douglas annette benning rob reiner Directed. Oh, okay. Um, is it an aaron sorkin script or am I it's an aaron sorkin script yeah very much um precursor to the west wing in one regard it's about the goodness of big government you know you talked about the war room right you talked about the mechanics that go on and around and i think that this was a time that i think had a lot of faith in the power of politics 
it's <laughs> someone's used the term progress porn as an expression to describe this film, right? Well, um, yeah. Well, there, that's definitely an Aaron Sorkin kind of thing, isn't it? This idea of it's a relentlessly yeah. positive viewpoint on the powers and mechanics of government that conquer all over everything, and it, it, it's and it feels like. It feels so, um, it feels, it, you know, when we can get sentimental to the good old days of government and good old days of the West Wing and the good old, this precursor, of course, to that um, is very, this, you know, it rings true. Um, this is a, you know, the Sorkin universe, as I call it a lot when I talk about Sorkin. Mm. This is very much alive in this film. Um, it stars Michael Douglas as um, uh, a widowed president, Andrew Shepard, who... Um, who who uh, is a, is going through an election campaign, um, and at the same time also forms a romantic bond um, with Annette Benning, and um, it assume it assumes I think one th- it assumes two things. Number one, it's great to see an American president having to fall in, falling in love with this character. Uh, who herself has a series of issues and um, uh, and uh, has a series of uh, agendas to at play, which f- which form a big part of the film's plotline, and how and then how the mechanics of government have to bring that into play into the into the election and how it can form a damaging or not damaging part of government. You're turning pages there. It's a bit loud. I'm so apologise. Oh, I don't know. It's it's, it's, it's a good thing. Um, it sounds it sounds learned. Carry on. Sorry. And. Um, I guess what I want to say in, in, in regards to the film is it's the idea of um, what I like is the idea of a president doubling as a romantic lead in one regard, which has nothing to do with election, I guess. But what it has to do with is the idea that um, it kind of looks back, looks to the idea of um, a president showcasing his his love for the common people, his love for his love for people wanting leadership, Mr. President, people people having belief in the president and people having belief in the powers of government. And it's by entirely falling, uncynical, isn't and it? It's uncynical. He's falling in love with a regular person and you know, and, and the government powers of government and the powers of the the, the system can win and conquer overall. Very pro American. Yeah. And yet the same and yet at the same time I think it foresees a lot of anxieties, you know, how people will um, Try and bring down the regular person in the sense, you know, bring down the president through having relationships that with pers- people that might be remotely controversial. It goes, but you know, that's a little. Did you see the little skit that, um, little speech that uh, President Obama gave a couple uh, last week or the week before about talking to young people about, um, you know, having about having a voice and have and pointing at people he did a he did a speech about um people on social media and how young people can be reactionary and that it, you know talking about that it's not it's that's not how to be not how to form movement not how to be 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 powerful and form you know being activists on the ground and doing things and this film kind of goes back to this idea of real real change is about um everyday americans and <laughs> <laughs> every day but actually what it is is a really sweet film and it's a very cool very very lovely rom- rom-com with, with an election message but yeah i don't know it, it feels nostalgic already mm, it does it feels it's that um, whole kind of idea of the b- benign politician i mean what uh, as i was thinking about these films i was thinking a lot of them you they are quite um polarized you either got these heroic you know politicians like uh, 
Bartlett from the West Wing as well, which is the other Sarkin one, Sarkin one of course. Um, or they're totally venal and cynical. They're totally, you know, one or the other. But I've also, the next film I want to pick is one where it is, I think it does occupy the middle ground, which is why I like it. So that was Tim's uh, choice, The American President, which I think is what? What year is that? About 2005? Ninety-five. Oh, earlier than I thought. Um, 1995, directed by Rob Reiner. I'm going to play some music now, which t- is taken from my uh, my number two choice. Um, and then we'll be back uh, with some more. Don't forget, you can tweet us at Screen Brum. Let us know your favourite films with elections in. Said love's not around But it's Or from Luton, the polling's been quite heavy in both areas. Oh, wait a moment. I'm just getting. I'm just getting a loud buzzing noise in my left ear. Excuse me, love. <laughs> anyway, let's go straight over to James Gilbert at Leicester. Well, it's a straight fight here at Leicester. On the left of the returning officer, you can see Arthur Smith, the sensible candidate, and his agent. And on the other side is the silly candidate, Jethro Walrus Titty, with his agent and his wife. <laughs> Here is the result for Leicester. Arthur J. Smith. Sensible party. 30,612. Jethro Q. Walrus Titty. Silly party. 32,108. Well, there's the first result, and the silly party have held Leicester. What do you make of that, Norman? Well, this is largely as I predicted, except that the silly party won. (laughs) I think this is mainly due to the number of votes cast. Gerald? Uh, Well, there's a swing here to the silly party, but how big a swing, I'm not going to tell you. Well, if I may, I think the interesting thing here is the big swing to the silly party, and, of course, the very large swing back to the sensible party, had a tendency to wobble up and down in the middle because the uh, screw's loose. (laughs) I'm afraid I can't think of anything. I can't add anything to that. Colin? I just butt in at this point and say this is, in fact, the very first time I've ever appeared on television. No, no, we haven't time because we're going straight over to Luton. Here at Luton, it's a three-cornered fight between Alan Jones, sensible party, in the middle, Tarquin, Fim, Tim, Lim, Bim, Wim, Bim, Lim, Bus Stop, Fatang, Fatang, Ole, Biscuit Barrel, Silly Party, and Kevin Phillips, Bong, the slightly silly candidate. Alan Jones. On the left, sensible party. 9,112. <laughs> Kevin Phillips, Bong. On the right, slightly silly. Not. <laughs> Tim, Lim, Bim, Wim, Bim, Limbus, Stop, Fatang, Fatang, Ole, Biscuit Barrel. Silly. 12,441. And so the Silly Party has taken Luton. A gain for the Silly Party at Luton, the first gain of the election. Norman. Well, this is a highly significant result. Luton, normally a very sensible constituency with a high proportion of people who aren't a bit silly, has gone completely gaga. Do we have the swing at Luton? Well, I've worked out the swing, but it's a secret. 
Ah, there we go. That's going to get us all in a happy mood. That was, of course, Monty Python's classic uh, sketch about uh, election night, which I still find it very funny. But there we go. Um, and previous to that, you heard some music. Ella Fitzgerald singing Angel Eyes. And that is taken from the soundtrack to the film I'd like to talk about next if that's okay with everyone. You're listening to The Screen Brum Show here on Brum Radio, and we're talking about elections. So the music, Angel Eyes, is taken from um, a 2011 film, The Ides of March. Saw it in Lincoln in 2011. That's a very specific uh, location. It's uh, uh, Yeah, I was, I, was, I was doing a festival there, uh-huh. uh, and uh, my... My girlfriend and I went to see it. It's great. In Lincoln Odeon. There we go. The most expensive, at the time, the most expensive Odeon outside of London. That is, is good knowledge. At the time. Other cinema chains are, are available. available. And I discovered <laughs> I discovered um, recently that the, the guy who set up Odeon um, was from Birmingham. Did you know that? No. There you go. He was an alumnus of my son's school. That's how I know. Oh, wow. Um, so there you go. Um, now, The Ides of March, 2011, George Clooney directed. George Clooney's in it. Ryan Gosling is in it. And Philip Seymour Hoffman is in it. So you know it's going to be good, even if you don't like anything else. You know it's got Philip Seymour Hoffman. He's always worth watching. Um, The film is an adaption of a play, which was called uh, Farragut North. Um, And um, it doesn't really show that it's... Sometimes, you know, these things become quite stagey. But um, the the plot is um, George Clooney's US governor is competing in a Democratic presidential primary um, for the endorsement of the presidential candidate. So the, the big the big drop is the is, is the is the primary um, in the US, which is a sort of pre-election thing. Um, and um, I think it's great. Um, George Clooney is, you know, in contrast to what we said before about you know often these films can often portray politics as as utterly utterly cynical, venal. Um, self-serving or heroic and you know these perfect characters I think he does a good job in presenting a kind of three-dimensional politician someone um, you know we see his corruption happening um, and we see the the kind of um, compromises he needs to make and the mistakes that he makes it's, it's, it's almost Shakespearean I think in the sense of of that he is a uh, you know, a figure who has been undone by some flaw, and you know, and he, he makes you know, just you know, the bad things happen. And, you know, I'm not going to spoil too much. Um, and and it's you know, it's, there's some heartbreaking kind of background machinations in it. Um, there's a scene near the end between Ryan Gosling and Philip Seymour Hoffman, which has remained with me as just shattering, kind of just a shattering piece of sort of of crushing betrayal that, that just brilliant. I, in my opinion, I think it's a sort of classic sort of t- corruption tale, human frailty. And it, and it, and it, it feels to me um, very much like those kind of seventies political thrillers that I really like, you know, sort of Sidney Lumet type things, um, a kind of, uh, you know, sort of grubby and cynical, but, but with a kind of moral anger to it as well. Um, George Clooney kind of, does specialise in this type of thing, I think. You know, this. You know, he, he does have a. He obviously is quite a political filmmaker, um, and he has a lot of. Um, I think a lot of time for. My opinion is he has a lot of time for kind of some of the institutions of the America of America and um, and wants them to sort of feel protected. So, so that is my uh, my recommendation. The Ides of March, two thousand eleven. George Clooney, uh, election political thriller. Yeah, he's very much about looking at systems, isn't he, and corruption. Mm. You think this this film really kind of follows in the kind of footpaths of things like Michael Clayton. Yeah. 
and um, even Syriana to a certain extent. You yeah, and uh, Good Night and Good Luck, is it? Whatever yeah, it is. Good Night and Good Luck, which is great. I love that film. Yeah, that is a great yeah, film. Yeah, I, I, um, and then, which is, of course, a Clooney-directed film, um, which came before this. I think it was. Um, I've got a feeling it was his debut. Yeah, um, no, it was his second film, um, Good Night and Good Luck. This is his third. Uh-huh. He's very prolific. And, um, you know, the films that he always gets behind and produces, you know, him and Grant Hesloff are always often quite politically charged films so yeah I, he's just done catch 22 of course which is yeah you know the daddy of all those things yeah and um yeah i think this is this feels this this feels like um you know it is a, it is a adaptation of farragut north and it does feel kind of stagey at times you know it's very dark it's you know everything you feel you know it's very it's know, all kind of da- but da- dark back dark rooms, back rooms isn't it? Yeah. a lot of talking uh, and it, you know and, it, and it, for me you know i thought the film felt like a stage play okay brought to brought to life a little bit and um, that scene that you're talking about with uh, Gosling and Seymour Hoffman mm. is, is is the standout scene mm. in the film. Shattering. Shattering. Yeah. Yeah. It's a really it's a really effective film. I didn't feel like it was a hugely cinematic affair. I mm. felt like it could have been a great TV. This felt like a three part HBO thing brought down to one film. Yeah, that's a good um, point. And I would love to have seen it as an HBO. And I think maybe now in 2019, if Clooney was thinking about it again, he'd probably do it as an HBO production, given what you've said about Catch 22 yeah. and all of that. Yeah, well, TV um, is the new TV is the new, new cinema, film. You've got all the time. Okay. Um, I like Yeah, it's a very, very well acted piece of work. Yeah, and um, very measured and confident. And that's very much George Clooney for you, isn't it? It measured is. And confident. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and, and strikingly handsome. We can't. Uh, we can't yeah. deny that about the man. But I um, think Hoffman was Hoffman's always the standout in the film. You know, he you got, can't take your eyes off he him. He got um, he got award nods for this, didn't mm. he? So uh, yeah. There we stuff. Are. So if you, I don't know if it was a great commercial success. A lot of people may not be aware of the Ides of March, but uh, do look it up. Um, great score as well. Uh, sorry, um, Alexander Desplat or Desplat. Well, we're never quite sure. You know, what, you know what I call him. Um, I call him Desplat. Yeah, um, it's funny. And it does does contain uh, Angel Eyes by Fitzgerald as well, which yeah. is what I play. But the actual soundtrack as well is very good. There we go. Um, now we have we are going to have a guest um, coming on the show shortly, um, um, who will have. Um, We've got a competition for us as well, so I'm going to leave that one hanging in the air. I'll play some music, but before I do, Tim, would you like to talk about your next choice? Yeah, I may have um, precursed one of your films as well here. I, I'm going to quickly touch on Election, which formed the heart of all of our promo for this. Uh, for this That's uh, right. Well, this is this is a great film. It's 20 years now since Election. 1999, yeah. I can't yeah. believe it. When I saw it, I saw it when I was at university, and I, I, found, I was profoundly alarmed by the film. I didn't find it funny. Because it's not funny. It's disturbing. It's, people call it... I mean, when you, you know when you have dark comedies. People use the term dark comedy. Yeah. I just thought the film was dark, nasty, nasty film. It's so also this, um, Barack Obama's favourite political film. Did you know that? I did not know that. And, and according, according to Alexander Payne. That surprises me uh, somehow. I don't know why. Um, yeah. Just because it, uh, of its sort of, sort of darkness. Tone. Yeah. Yeah. So this is Alexander Payne uh, directing as an adaptation of a novel, I think. Is that right? That's right. And it's his third film, I think, after Subway. And he did... Oh, come the other ones. Um, which was with um, Laura Dern, which was mm-hmm. a film, uh, I've forgotten the name of the film, it was about abortion, and it was also suitably dark, uh, mm. film, I've forgotten the name of the film, doesn't matter. So it's Matthew Broderick and uh, Reese Witherspoon. Yeah. Um, it's I, a high school election. Yes. <laughs> the first thing about this film that I always think, um, in that classic vein of high school movies, before it bec- we start going to the election element, high school is incredibly boring. <laughs> you know, is he, you get that sort of, you know, that sort of going right back to sort of Breakfast Club, even Porky's, if you're going to be really, really silly. 
high school is incredibly boring you know and i think the first thing is that alexander payne really captures sets that landscape up for these two larger than life characters you know in the film you know matthew broderick and um reese witherspoon he captures the monotony and lots of students are kind of um you know spaced out and you know just giving heart you know sort of yeah, putting their hands up, and not really being bothered about school, and this is this this back tone is this, this backdrop is oh this backdrop is through, through which um, the character of Tracy Flick can come alive, and um, and also um, the character of Tracy Flick. I mean, if you've seen the film, you know that she's become such an iconic character in the movies, and so and I don't know whether it's a I, I sometimes think this is, this is this is critics more than maybe people who watch the film become so linked with. The political landscape of America that every female politician that seemingly comes up and rises. I think we're thinking of Hillary Clinton as a big example of this. Mm. Gets linked or compared to her for some reason. Well, that is very. That is a very good point, isn't it? Because this is such a gendered, a gendered kind of thing. You know, it, it, it's the the fact that she's behaving in a way that if a if a male had behaved in, would have been regarded as almost it, a kind of salutary, almost like uh, you know, uh, positive. Yeah. yeah, she's criticised for. And I think Reese Witherspoon was asked about this a few years ago. She said, "Why don't you, you know, would you ever be tempted to be um, do a biopic of Hillary Clinton?" She's and she said, "No, I've already done it." <laughs> um, but that says a lot, and I think it says something about the sexism that's probably all pervasive within American politics. If that is the case, she's not exact. I don't, you know, she's seen as a. Some people see her as a as a as an example of liberal liberalism in America. I don't think hardly, mm. you know. Um, and also, um, you think you think of uh, or Tina Fey and her portrayal of Sarah Palin, for example. You think if you watch that portrayal of Sarah Palin, it has its roots. Feels like it has its roots back a little bit in Tracy Flick's character yeah. as well. This it's this kind of um, way in which she has to um, the things that she does within the film is sort of this vessel for determination and. Um, and frightening men and having to be larger than larger larger than life is a is a cliche ever goes a phrase. But it's but. it's a it's a really good point about this this idea of how you know of how female kind of adult politicians are presented because she is um you know the the idea now we often hear it you know the sort of head girl as a kind of negative thing you know or you know the 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 the, the girl who's so sort of keen to to get on and to is 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 not. You know, it's not acceptable in a female politician in a way that you know being the head boy would be for for a male one. So I mean, yeah, she's like a kind of um, yeah, really holds a light up, even though it's about a school election. It holds a whole wider politics. And then within that, you you have this character of Jim McAllister, the teacher played by Matthew Broderick. He's, he's this supposedly this is this this star teacher who has a background which Tracy Flick knows about. I won't go into too much detail about that. And um, and I think that. You uh, you start to realise that you start to realise some of these things that we talk about about what Tracy Flick has to do, um, love her and loathe her, probably loathe her and also understand her. Probably is the way I look at it, loathe her and understand her to understand you know what she has to uh, do to gain political foothold for want of a better word mm. and the nasty things that she has to do. He he's nasty as well. Yeah, yeah. And and he has he gets his comeuppance in a in a manner of speaking. Oh, it's it's it's, and, you say it's um, pretty bleak. It's pretty it's pretty bleak all <laughs> You think round. of it as a comedy. Um and Reese Witherspoon is not normally associated with this sort of bleakness, but Yeah, but it has to be seen because I think in the context of the world in which we live now, it's so prevalent and mm. so and it shows that America has in its in its development or regression, whichever way you want to look at it, 
Um, these things would hold true even 20 years on from the film. And I think no wonder that Reese Witherspoon is very proud of this film. I think it was that, I think it was the first film after sort of Cruel Intentions, and she, you know, took about a contrast of films. Oh um, yeah, yeah. No, she absolutely smashes it. It's great. Yeah. She's a absolutely sort of timeless, timeless character. Yeah, bleak, bitter, angry. It's a nasty film. Let's let's uh, <laughs> let's let you go, let you let you go away. I'm gonna watch, I'm gonna play something bleak and angry now. I'm gonna play some music and then we're gonna be back with our special guest. Remember, you can tweet us at Screen Brum and we'll be back shortly. No one here, of course, is afraid of Americans, but that what is that? I'm afraid of Americans. Um, David Bowie, and that is taken from the soundtrack to a film I'm very proud to say I haven't seen, which is Purge Election Year. Um, the Purge was, a, I think, it's a series. I think it's a TV series of it as well. Sort of um, just the ultimate in cynical um, view of uh, of human nature, in my opinion. I don't recommend it, but I do recommend David Bowie at all times. So um, that's why we played I'm Afraid of Americans. So you're listening to The Screen Brum Show here, back after a hiatus on um, Brum Radio. And we have a guest in the studio who is, um, it's Barack, no, it's not Barack Obama. Um, the next so best... Yeah, well, that's a high bar. Uh, the next best thing is um, Dr. Michelle Aaron. Hello, Dr. Michelle. Hello, Blake. Nice to be back. How are you? I'm very well. I'm very well. Everything's changed here. It's the, been a while. The studio is snazzy, yes. And, um, well, you know, it, these are changing times. Are you a fan of elections? Are you a, are you, are you, are you, you know, a real nerd? Do you sit there and... You know, no, yesterday I dropped my daughter off to do leafleting and canvassing. So somehow elections and local politics has, has taken an even bigger role in my life. My mum has been delivering leaflets this week, and this is the first time. Um, and she's what? Uh, I won't say her age. That I'm not sure you're supposed to do that, but you know she's she's in her seventies, I'd say. And um, and it sort of caught her imagination. So no sign of election fatigue there. Um, but you're not here to campaign for the Michelle Aaron party. No. Um, you're here to campaign for another type of party. Well, is it a party? Not really. Screening Rights Film Festival, which remarkably is in its fifth year. Wow. I know. I think I was here for the first year, wasn't I? That's how long. Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm surprised to hear you say that because of the nature of the, what you said the question was going to be for the uh, oh, competition. fiddle. We'll come up with another question. <laughs> Which was going to be how many years has the festival been running? But yeah, five years of the screen right. So tell us a little bit about five what years. the festival is. Five more years. <laughs> five more years. The festival's um, uh, International Festival of Social Justice Films, and we've been doing it quite a while now, and we like to bring films that don't um, always even make a UK uh, screening, so we're bringing it, and so they certainly don't make an audience, get an audience in the region, so it's great to bring some of the most important films from recent years on the social justice documentary feature festival circuit to Brum and Coventry and we kick off next Thursday and for the first time we're actually running some films concurrently so this is you know a very exciting year where we've got events going on in Birmingham and in Coventry at the same time. Wow and now social justice films sometimes have a reputation of being worthy and dry and let's face it a little bit depressing. Um, 
having, oh, no. having given you that introduction, I'm hoping you're now going to tell me that you have some that aren't. Well, I'm not going to tell you that, you know, these are, it's a festival full of there's uplifting stories. There's not, a, not stories. a lot of rom-coms. No, and we've already started by saying these are not necessarily the most uplifting times. No. However, of course, there are many films that have some both important messages, but definitely impart them in ways that are, you know, exciting to watch, compelling to watch, um, and entertaining in all kinds of ways. And lots of them will have some kind of... Uh, redeeming features when I say redeeming I don't mean in terms of a marriage at the end or happily ever after but I do mean in terms of hope because invariably in some of the best films that are about some of the most difficult topics in our world we will always find some kind of narrative that has you know hope and purpose attached to it these are not just bleak films these are films that are real uh, but they're also kind of giving us direction and giving us inspiration of things mm -hmm. to do and how to change things that's Ex the point excellent so we're lighting a candle we're not cursing the darkness here Quite. so what what are you what are you looking forward to most from the festival well, there's lots of really great stuff. I mean, there's award-winning films like Capernaum, which was Nadine Lebecki's... She was, she's a Lebanese director, and this film was nominated for the Oscar. It lost to Roma, and I'm sure people will have watched Roma. It's available on Netflix. It was a huge success. One of my favourites of last year. Yes. I have to say, while I love Roma, I think that Capernaum's the better film. Wow. That is that is a good that is a good it's endorsement. It's an extraordinary extraordinary film. I don't know if either of you two have oh, seen it, yeah. but it was made with. It's about um, it's about a kid on who lives in poverty. He's a refugee living in Beirut, and he ends up living on the street, being homeless. And it's actually starring all non-actors. Not only are they non-actors, but they're actors, well, they're, they're, yeah, they're actors in the film who recently had the same experience as the film depicts. So if you can imagine, and, and most of the cast, well, the main figures in the cast are like under 12, I think. So it's just extraordinary. I mean, it's a feat of film direction, film aspiration but also just of a kind of human the way that film can really depict human experience and can really sort of reach out and sort of grab you in this very very powerful way i don't think any other medium can do it and this film i mean it's not without its problems and we'll have a really good panel after the film talking about that but it's it, it's a, just a, an extraordinary film, so I, I strongly recommend it. So you, make, you mentioned the, the panels, because this is not just film showing. So oh, it's there's not. lots of other stuff going on. Absolutely, because it's grounded in research, I'm an academic, after all, um, and an academic that's focused on the power of film, if you like, to affect change, personal, social and political change. That's what I write about, that's what I teach about, but it's also what I uh, try to generate uh, discussion about with this film festival. So every screening event is accompanied by... Um, a panel discussion afterwards in which sometimes we'll have we'll be lucky enough to have a director or producer or a star there we'll always have some kind of um, experts from the field of academia from campaigning or law or journalism so every event has a special discussion afterwards and we know that our audiences now because we know this after five years because we've tracked it um, our audience especially appreciate that kind of high level discussion that goes on but very accessible discussion I mm. should add Yes, it's not an academic conference, no, is it? It's, you know, you don't have to 
understand. You, know, <laughs> you don't have to optics. wear black to be there. <laughs> it helps. Um, no, it doesn't. Um, so fantastic. So um, Blake is wearing black. I am. I am. Out. I've got a. I've got a Johnny Cash T-shirt on in 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 honour of black. Um, so uh, anything else that yes. you're really looking forward to in there? <clears throat> yeah, lots. Let me tell you about our closing film is Gaza. A documentary from this year that's caused a lot of interest on the festival circuit. It is, as you might imagine, about Gaza. There's <laughs> <laughs> always people expecting it to be about Gaza and being very disappointed. Um, maybe you should make that I don't clear. know anymore if that would be true, but anyway, um, I might have dated you. Mm. Never mind, Blake. Um, <laughs> anyway, this closes the festival at the MAC at five o'clock on Sunday, the 24th of November. I'm really pleased that we've got the Right Honourable Claire Short on the panel after the film. We also have some young researchers from the South Hebron Films in Palestine. They're here as a result of funding in a British Council-funded project in which they're kind of um, doing a tour. They're doing a lot of work in Palestine, but they're sort of sharing their research on the experience of communities in South Hebron Hills, specifically Bedouin communities. So we're lucky enough to have to be sort of partnering with, with this British Council project and have a couple of the young people there as well who'll be on the panel too. Wow. So that's very exciting. That is fascinating. So um, how do people get hold of the programme, find out what's going on and book tickets? Well, they're probably best off <clears throat> to go to our website, screeningrights.org to check out everything about the festival, but um, we're in Birmingham and Coventry. Most of the screenings this year are at the MAC. That's our usual partner. Um, we've had great experience working so with them over the, the years. Midlands Arts Centre in Edgbaston. It is, and if you go to their website, you will find all the details for the films that we're screening there, and you can book tickets through their page. And our tickets for the Coventry events can be booked through Culture Coventry or through our website and they're, they're, we're doing that through Eventbrite so you have to link to them from our website or from Culture Coventry website. And what is your website? It's screeningrights.org. Screeningrights.org. Do you know what? I just lied. That's really not very com. good. It's .com. Screeningrights.org are getting all the traffic right now. God knows what they're doing. Um, screening <laughs> Do you know rights, what we used to be, .org? That's why it's in my head. Uh, ScreeningRights.com is where you want to go if you want to uh, find out more uh, and book tickets. But we will also be giving a couple yes. away. We're going to have to come up with a question. So we're going to have to play some music while we come up with a question. Yes. Because, um, you know, I know we're not going to make it too difficult. But I think giving the answer and then immediately... Um, Immediately asking the question possibly makes it a little bit too easy. So here we go. I am going to play some music and uh, we'll be back uh, after this. And this is Satellite by the appropriately named TV on the radio. satellite um by tv on the radio which is what we talk about you see what i've done there um and um it is uh, taken from the uh, the remake of the mancurian candidate so that's the 2004 version which i haven't seen um because the reason i haven't seen it is because i, I love the original so much um that i thought oh no we can't but it's it's i've we've had people on twitter saying it's very good and there's lots of kind of positivity around it so i shouldn't be uh, prejudiced about that one it's got denzel washington in it after all um so that's the the 2004 remake of the Manchurian Candidate. but if you haven't seen the original do watch it even if you only watch the first 10 minutes um the first Fantastic 10 minutes are amazing film. amazing sequence but also angela lansbury is just She's incredible. Not hmm? She was 
She's 94 now. She wasn't then. No. Um, oh, she, I mean, in it, she plays... The character she plays, her son... She plays her son, and they're almost exactly the same age, or there's like a year apart in real life. But no no second do you ever even acknowledge that because her performance is so powerful. Fantastic. So that is... The Manchurian Candidate 2004 and the TV on the radio music satellite. Now, we're here with Michelle Aaron from the Screening Rights Film Festival. And we have two tickets to give away. We do. And the question is, um, how many films are we screening this year? How many films are screening? Well, we know, no spoilers, but we know two. You've talked about two at least. So Does that mean I shouldn't mention any more? My guess would be oh. to go higher than that. <laughs> Um, but um, but you know maybe not that much higher. But who knows? That there are ways to find out. I think that's the that's what we're doing here. There are ways to find this out. So how many films? So if you can tweet us at screenbrum or you can email us uh, info at screenbrum.co.uk um, and and let us know. And if you are the lucky winner, well, you can get two films to the two tickets to the film of your choice. Yes. So you don't you're not stuck on a you know a particular date if you if you're stuck you know in Coventry or Birmingham you should be able to get along so and um, and, and as well as as the kind of um, the issues you've talked about mm. um, where we've talked about um, homelessness we've talked about um, Gaza what other kind of issues are covered in in, in the films you've got. We've got, well, as, us, as usual, because there's been such a refugee immigration crisis the last few years, of course we have that theme featuring again uh, a fantastic film called, I'm only going to say one more because otherwise it makes a question too simple. <laughs> okay, uh, guys, Midnight Traveller. Don't go with less than three, that's my advice. <laughs> Midnight Traveller. Midnight Traveller, that's on the um, Thursday night, that's our um, opening night in Birmingham. 21st of November, Midnight Traveller. Really um, wonderful film. The filmmaker is also the star of the film. It's a first-person narrative about um, this Afghan director called Hassan Fazil. And uh, I think there's like a... a, um, Basically, he's going to be imprisoned. Who knows what else is going to happen to him in Afghanistan? And he flees with his entire family and he films the whole experience as he traverses Europe wow. trying to find sanctuary. But you you literally... I mean, there are various films. There have been various films the last few years in which cameras and filmmakers have gone alongside refugees or they film, talk to refugees. You know, there's been a lot of films like that and we've screened some of them. But this one is particularly uh, noteworthy and effective and affecting because it's the guy himself, the filmmaker himself, who's, who's, who's uh, it's, it's so direct. Fantastic. That does, I mean, that sounds harrowing, um, yeah. potentially. Uh, but as you say, it's ripped right from the news, and it's 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 not going away. This, the, the, you know, the the, the refugee crisis. Um, yeah. It's going to make you know. It's going to dominate elections. I mean, we, we're seeing um, obviously in America, you know, this this being such a massive election issue um, uh, in a way that perhaps it hasn't before. You know, but also climate change. Which is going to be the climate mm-hmm. change election, and you're talking about that in the festival as well. Going to spoil it, but there is another film. <laughs> there Earth. is another film called Earth. Mm-hmm. 
interestingly more about landscape change than climate change but of course these things are very intimately uh, bound up together um, and this is incredibly poetic uh, important film that's been um, very very well received and we're delighted to have that at the Mac on the Saturday evening eight o'clock on the Saturday evening it's called Earth. One thing I will say uh, to, to listeners um, if you're someone that, that when you hear the word important about a film thinks oh that's going to be too worthy or it's going to be too harrowing or it's going to be too you know it's going to be uh, beyond me or, or or if i'm not if i'm not particularly interested in a subject that that it's not going to engage me you know don't try not to think that um i mean i'm sure our listeners are very much open-minded people but i'm suddenly suggesting um that that you do look at this and look at these films and think well you know if i don't know something about a subject that's a good reason mm. to get along um, that's no, that's my plea anyway. Very well said, um, Blake. I think that's the point of the festival. It's it's really meant to extend audiences and to make these kinds of films. And I'm calling them important because they're precisely then they're precisely not trying to be worthy or preachy or dramatic or money making or any of those sort of big things that film and cinema normally does. They're just they're trying to provoke discussion and to cause people to just think a bit more whilst being entertained and we mustn't forget even grim films entertain us yeah. right ken loach wouldn't have a career if that wasn't true um so we know that cinema can do that too um so these films are, are really they're beautiful they're um really interesting storytelling really evocative um but they're also telling us important things or, or giving us important things to think about in a way that's that sort of can work for us fantastic so get on to screening rights dot com um, to find out more and I want to say a big thank you to Michelle Aaron Dr Michelle Aaron I should say um, from the University of Warwick um, to come in um, listen you didn't spend you know all that time oh. writing those PhD theses for nothing um, <laughs> if I was a doctor I'm going to insist on it I, you know when I become knighted you're going to have to call me sir um, not likely to happen anytime soon shall we start now yeah I think we probably should okay. I probably should to get in to get in practice uh, I'm going to play some more music um, and then we'll be back shortly That, of course, was the theme tune to the House of Cards, the um, Netflix version. Um, there was, of course, the original BBC version. Superior in every way, in my opinion. Um, but we're talking about elections here on the Screen Bomb Show. And, and, and the, the House of Cards is a good one because it does have that... Um, that trope of you know the completely evil, venal, self-serving politician with a you know brilliant human face, and you know I know that the Kevin Spacey situation is is difficult to, to talk about these days, but his performance in there as a politician is, in my opinion, fantastic because what he does do, and there's whole episodes devoted to this, is is you be- you understand why people believe him. And in my professional life, I've met a few politicians, I'm sure you know you may have as well. Um, and one thing that I was find when I talk to a confront bunch of politicians is is you know the way that they make you feel incredibly important, and they they just sort of you, there's something kind of radiant, I think, sometimes about a politician when they kind of put their attention on you and they and they make you you know they make you feel like what you're saying is interesting and they're really listening and it's incredibly intoxicating. Uh, and, I, and I've, I've met a few um, you know sort of ministers and so forth, and I've, I've I've often felt that I've often felt wow, you know, I can understand why people can really follow this person and can turn a blind eye to perhaps some of the the negative signs to it. So that is um, yeah. 
that is my thinking on House of Cards. We are, we are talking about elections here. Uh, we have uh, Tim Wilson here in the studio. We've talked about a few. I want to quickly mention another one, if I may, and I'd be interested to know whether or not you think of this, um, what you think of this. 1972, The Candidate, uh, directed by uh, Michael Ritchie. Um, it's a, he's a comedic director. He's directed, you know, Fletch uh, and amongst other things. Um, and this is it's a, it's a Private movie. Benjamin as well. Is that right? Yeah. <laughs> I did not know that. And the Golden Child, Eddie Murphy, oh, which is it? a film of fondness. I have. I don't know why it's a film of fondness. It's just a film. I find it's got Charles Dance in it. It's so. got Charles Dance in it. Um, so this is. Um, I remember wanting to watch that at school. We it was our last day at school, and we wanted to watch it, and we brought it in on video. And my teacher said. Um, I've heard of this actor, um, Eddie Murphy, and I heard he has a foul mouth. So we weren't allowed to see it. So we had to watch Training Places instead, <laughs> which was which actually had more swearing in it. Um, uh, and it was that was a fifteen, and, and the other one. I don't PGs. get the logic, but there no, you go. But I think she just had something against Freddie, Mer uh, Freddie Mercury, uh, Eddie Murphy. Um, maybe he did maybe he did. But... Um, anyway, um, so this this film, The Candidate from uh, 1972, it's it's a comedy, but it's actually it's billed as a comedy. But I don't remember it being very sort of funny because it's quite cold uh, and, and cynical, quite naturalistic. And it's a film. The premise of the film is Robert Redford uh, plays a senatorial candidate who is absolutely no chance of getting elected against. Uh, so he's a Democrat and he's running against a Republican and there's absolutely no chance of him getting elected. So he is has the freedom to say it, tell it like it is, say it, you know, say what he really means. And um, predictably, this takes a it takes a, a life of its own and he becomes a, a genuine uh, sort of candidate for the position by by sort of saying his honest things, and it's 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 a it's a it's a thing we see in a lot of these films. I was thinking about a lot of these films have this bit in it where the politician, you know, suddenly drops the mask and says to us, um, you know, this is what I really think, and you all agree with me, don't you? Um, the nadir of this is Love Actually, where we have Hugh Grant, um, you know, saying what he thinks about um, Billy Bob Thornton's. Uh, American president um, and it's awful but it's a real kind of you know it's a real I think it's well anyway I do but um, it, you know yes. it's a real kind of wish fulfillment because people want their politicians to say the truth they think I'm not sure they do really I don't know it's a Hugh Grant being doing Richard Curtis's deeds I think yeah. is always oh, the way yeah. I look on yeah. that I mean it's um, what appears to be the case is that he's, he's, he's happy for the American president to, to boss him around in all the ways but you know when he says something nasty to um, Hugh Grant's girlfriend that's on the pale, yeah, um, Call blimey, yeah. Um, but anyway, there we are. So, um, I think it's a great, he, he drops the you know, I think it's a, a, a great film. Um, you know, it, it's one of these ones where you look back at it now and you think this is a long time ago when people were, were, were sort of slightly shocked by how cynical it was about the electoral process. And again, as we've talked about earlier, it has a lot of time for the the kind of election agent and the, the people behind the scenes pulling the strings, as it were, of the of the public with the election. So that is a choice um, I'm suggesting. 1972's The Candidate. Anyone here seen it? I haven't seen it. No? I must confess. No. Neither. I just saw the poster, though. It's really cool. It's got his picture of Robert Redford in a suit, and his mouth is, um, is blurred out. It's blowing a bubble. Isn't is it, it blowing a bubble? But it also has. Gum, it, but it's also the air of his mouth being blown, yeah. uh, being shadowed, isn't it? It has a kind of an air of maybe a voice. Yeah. Being... Yeah. So the idea is that he's, you know, he's talking about, and and it feels, you know, I watched it relatively recently, and you know, it's a lot of stuff when he's talking about the environment um, feels quite 
quite modern. You know, you, you sort of forget that you know the ecology was a, was an issue in the seventies as well, um, and that that was potentially a vote winner in a way that you know you wouldn't necessarily think. So there we are. That's my recommendation. Um, Tim, do you have uh, a recommendation? for an election film for us? Yeah, I was going to just touch on Milk, actually. Mm. Um, it's interesting because I, I, in all the sort of... If you look at all of Gus Van Sant's films, this is in a safer category, I would argue. So this this um, is a film... Um, Michelle Aaron, we have to say, who's still in the studio, is is is, is pulling a very intriguing face. So we're going to have to get her... Is it a disapproval face? She, you, are, you, know, you write a lot about LGBT films. Um, I have historically, but yeah, no, that's an in- interesting. Because I certainly th- what he did to allow him to do the more edgy ones. Yeah. So tell us, tell us about the film. So people. Because there's know, an so argument. I was straight off the bat. There's an argument that goes that this film doesn't perhaps deal with the film's most interesting premise, which is relationships side of things. Just, just so but, people, if, if um, people aren't aware, Harvey, so Milk Harvey Milk's a real, a, real person. A, he's a real person. He was, um, he was an American activist fighting for gay rights and he became California's first openly gay official to be elected to public office and this, was, this was in the um, mid 70s and in a sense the film um, the film kind of covers a few different eras of Harvey Milk's development um, I don't want to get the words right you can feel you can feel the energy uh, through Sean Penn I guess is the film is a kind of a, a Sean Penn vehicle to reproduce um harvey milk's persona his mannerisms his clothing um um and he brings them down and michelle's looking at me in a <laughs> i think he brings them down i don't know you you can argue with it i think he brings them down just below the stereotype level just below maybe he doesn't <laughs> <laughs> go on have courage of your conviction i'm gonna say i think okay. i think i think um i think that what gus van Sant goes for is to tell a straightforward story of a guy that an audience can cheer for mm-hmm. and 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 then does it in a kind of a sympathetic non-partisan uh, way um there is also something of, um, shall I say, hagiography about this film? Um, the sort of showing him accosting a young man in a subway. I think that was James Franco's character in the film, Scott Smith. Um, but it's also a vital encounter with the man who's to be his future partner. Um, but what it builds up for is this kind of Harvey Milk becoming an, a more experienced political operator and um, becomes savvy about how to cut deals with his opponents and he learns how to develop his persona throw his weight around how um how he learned how he repositioned gay issues in the political marketplace um and how he reclaimed the language of identity politics i guess um this he talks about how his people don't like to be called queers um and he tells dan just as dan's irish catholics don't like to be called mix um um my thing is i i think the film is a very effective piece of mainstream filmmaking in where the film i think works for me is in that element and i think that um and it's and it kind of shows that middle of the road side of gus van sant's persona Mm -hmm. Uh, i put it in there because i think it's uh, I, i think it shows a kind of a a classic American safe space in which to do films that kind of put, go for a mainstream. What I'd always like to see, though, is the film that perhaps Gus Van Sant might have made. Mm. 
and maybe I'd and the bit around the election stuff and the kind of activism, it's all very yeah, it works on that kind of I'm doing I'm doing gestures with my hands which mm. don't work well on a radio <laughs> format. Um, it's fist pumping, fist pumping, and you know, a good, good over evil. Yeah, and I think he does a speech where he's wearing a very louder than life pair of trousers, if I remember rightly. And it was the seventies. <laughs> it was the seventies. Was, was acceptable. Yeah, it's, it's acceptable now. It's acceptable now. Absolutely. Um, and I, I think that vote, uh, vote trousers. That's what. And it's saying. a really interesting thing because I remember at the at the time of the Oscars ceremony, he was up against um, what's his what's the film? I don't know. It's just, this is. This is all the new now. I'm now having I'm now having amnesia moment. Um, okay, describe it. Do boxing it. film. Rocky. No. <laughs> wrestler. The wrestler. Ball, the wrestler. Oh yeah, wasn't there some needle between the two actors? Yeah. Um, there was some issue, wasn't there? I can't remember. I don't know what the issue was, yeah. but they were seeing. They were, they were, it was kind of like give it to Sean Penn because he's a safer choice than. Um, the redeemed. What's his name? We, we, none of us can I'm remember. Having a, I'm Angel having amnesia. Mickey yeah, Rourke. Mickey yeah. Rourke. Yeah. And, you know, the wrestler's a better film, of course. Um, it's a great uh, film. It's a great film. Um, not about elections. Not, not about elections. So when we do our wrestler show, it will be front and centre. So I, I, what I've done, I, I, I think it's a very effective... My girlfriend absolutely adores this film. I, I, put, it, I put it in the, the middling category of Gus Van Sant stuff, you know, whereas I say Gus Van Sant, when he's great, it's amazing. When he's terrible, he's terrible. This is in the middle, mm-hmm. firmly in the middle. So, ooh, I keep doing that. Sorry. Do you sorry, get a everyone. real alarm every time I touch this mic? Yeah, it hurts, man. This mic ears. stand is really, really sensitive, um, isn't it? Sorry, everyone. Um, so, yeah, I'll be interested to see what Michelle thinks because yeah, now, having Michelle in the room, I really want to see we're Michelle. All, we're rip. all desperate for Michelle's approval, really, on this one. So, yeah. Michelle, would you do you have an opinion on this film? So, so this is oh, Harvey Michelle. Milk, the film Milk from yeah. a, about 2011 or something. I do have an 2009. opinion. 2009. Go for it. Well, you're absolutely right, because it is, you know, he makes such edgy, even radical films that are daring and disturbing, and this film is not that. Mm -hmm. This film definitely isn't that. This is sort of the typical, you know, uh, as you said, money-making, popularity-achieving cinema, and it tells, you know, and it is definitely worth noting, it's a really important film in terms of celebrating a figure that has been has been celebrated in many a student union bar, as in the names of them. I think they're changed now, but certainly in the 80s and the 90s, most student union bars or student union buildings had a Harvey Mill office or bar, etc. So he's an extremely important international figure um, and important figure in, in gay history. Uh, but the film is just rather saccharine, really. And it does that thing about, as there have been various films during the same period, um, by directors not that dissimilar in terms of their background to Gus Van Sant. I mean, background within queer filmmaking in the States. It sort of nostalgically looks back to activism and really celebrates all the gains of it. And this is during a period where you see this sort of greater and greater embrace of gay rights yeah. and queer politics in the States, but a kind of very mainstream, ever ever more mainstream version of queer politics in the States. So it is this kind of redemptive, recuperative kind of filmmaking that feels quite sad if you compare it to the edgier works that sort of are pushing things a bit more. Well, if you want to hear more of uh, Michelle's um, great knowledge on um, the history of LGBT cinema, um, our LGBT special, which Michelle featured on, is available. So, yeah. do if you want to know more of this kind of thing, go to that. It's on uh, Spotify. It's on uh, Podcasty. Whatever you get your podcasts, it's on Mixcloud. So, do have a look at that because um, it's been one of our most um, 
it's the show that continues to be downloaded the most, uh, Michelle. I'll be my mother. No. It's <laughs> it really won't. All, all over the world, um, and and it, and it's and it's a great it's a great overview. So do do have a look at those things. It is. It, we only have one microphone. It's all sharing gone. a mic. I will say on the film on the pro on it again on the positive side of the film. I think the mood is very gen- very jubilant, yeah. and there is a relentless energy to it. And I think that's more to do with perhaps the way that they portray Sean Penn's portrayal of the fil- of the milk. Um, um, and I think that's where I kind of, I liked the film, even if I know where you're coming from completely <laughs> and I agree with you. And I think that's probably, um, that's probably what I, what, when, when I saw it, I resonated with that. But I think that's the tone exactly that it, I've, I've come to realize that that's the tone exactly that Gus Van Sant and a lot of these directors are looking for when they're doing the revisionist style of filmmaking discuss there was a lot of discussion around the the stonewall film that came out recently of being an utter sort of whitewashing or well, straight there's washing been a few of, of them and the normal heart i don't know if anyone oh. saw the normal heart it yeah. had uh, the delightful mark ruffalo in it but this was a fight barbara streisand bought the rights of larry kramer's play The Normal Heart which is one of the most important pieces that came out of the AIDS crisis. Larry Kramer uh, the gay activist right at the beginning of the AIDS crisis who literally when things were first unfolding was going around to gay communities and bathhouses in San Francisco and on the east coast and literally saying to young gay men we are on the verge of a genocide and you need to stop expletive um, because we're, being, we're going to be killed and what followed is like this unbelievably massive increase of deaths from Mm -hmm. HIV over the period. And he was there right at the beginning. And he wrote this play called The Normal Heart, which had an unbelievably successful run all over the world. Um, Barbara Streisand bought the rights to it soon after, and it sat unmade. I'm not sure why. I think there were rumours that she and Larry Kramer could never see Ita. Anyway, I'm not sure why it was, but it never saw the light of day until about... I think four or five years ago, it was finally made into a Hollywood movie. And it is, I mean, apart from Mark Ruffalo, who I really like, um, it is, again, this sort of very much, you know, if you think from what I've said of the kind of anger and, and devastation that fueled the original text, and then you see it in, in, you know, with this gorgeous American star in it, and it's all very powerful and beautifully lit and really compelling and tear-jerking. And the fuel and the fury has just been sort of bled mm. out of it, unfortunately. I mean, it's an interesting film. I recommend people see it. But it's sort of part, with Stonewall, it's sort of part of this group of films that have come out in the last 10 years that sort of, they're not revisionist histories, they're kind of sanitising, upbeating these, mm. these histories for a particular I would say political purpose in the contemporary. And we are we are talking elections, and I should oh, sort of sorry. remind you. you know, as, <laughs> is that one of the things there is is a lot of these films we discussed this earlier is they do require um, the protagonists to be either saintly or or utterly evil and 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 hardly ever human and three dimensional in and in, in this sort of in the middle of it all. And also I think we've talked obviously we American cinema is, is dominant and we do talk about that a lot, but I think American politics in particular is very um adversarial and uh, and around individuals. You know, presidential politics is, is just you know, we, we just see them as, as kind of personality battles, which obviously we're seeing certainly creeping into our politics as well. So um so we end up having these perhaps these representations where people are either have to be you know just saints or you know just 
Darth Vader and there isn't really a third way um, to coin a phrase. Um, um, shall we talk about another... Uh, are, 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 we, are we coming up to our number ones now, Tim? I'm not doing number ones. Okay. I'm just doing films. Just doing films. Well, I'm Sorry. going to choose. I'm going to choose my number one because this is something. Uh, I'm going to. I'm going to play. Um, and at home, when you know what it is, uh, tweet in or, or shout at your radio that you know what it is. Oops, excuse me. Um, you know this is our first show back when I press the wrong button. Uh, no, I do that every time. Um, okay, have a listen to this, and uh, as soon as you know what it is, um, well, be proud of yourself. This is BBC One. and welcome to our election results programme. From now until four in the morning, we'll be bringing you the fastest service of results and comment from the politicians. There it was. That's the election. I just love that music. It's the election theme. That's 1983, the BBC election coverage from 1983, which was the first election that I really... I mean, 1979 was was the first election I remember watching, but 1983 was the first member I actually sort of remember actually sort of caring about and getting kind of actually involved. Did you vote for the silly party? I, I voted for the slightly silly party. I was always middle of the road, still am. Okay. Um, and um, I'm, I'm, pl- I'm playing that because uh, that is my, my number one pick, is the BBC's election coverage, um, whatever year it is. Um, 1997 was the election that I remember most vividly. And anyone here who remembers that was, was a very seismic election. There were a lot of changes. Michelle wasn't born at that point, um, but I was. Um, <laughs> I was quite, um, and and that was the, that was a big election, obviously. And I remember, I remember, I lived at the time. I lived with an actor, and um, I booked the next day off work so I could stay up all night and watch the. Yeah, I was a nerd, and he was like, "What? what? He goes, why? Why are you doing that? What a waste of a day's holiday." And he previously, a, a couple of months earlier, he'd done the same thing in order to stay up all night and watch the Oscars. Um, and I remember him saying to me, it's not important. It's not like it's the Oscars. Um, and I thought, well, you know, uh, that goes to show. Um, and, you know, show business for ugly people. That's what they say politics is, don't they? And um, and so the election coverage is kind of like the... <laughs> you Shut up. Um, we're all handsome here. As long as you can't see us, we're all gorgeous. Um, the... Uh, yeah, so it's like the World Cup, I think. It's like the World Cup final for kind of political nerds is, is watching this coverage. Um, um, you know, you, there's so much time to fill in. There's always extra strides of time they have to fill in when nothing's happening. So you get to see loads of things. And as someone who is, as, as, as we said earlier on, a professional or former professional sophologist, the fact that you've got John Curtis. John Curtis is the polling expert that the BBC have on. He's a very unlikely TV star, um, but he's been on a lot recently because we've been constantly being polled. Um, and, and the fact that he becomes a celebrity um, for an evening is always a, a, a source of great joy to me. So it's a bit of a, <laughs> a bit of 
of a hero of mine. And um, I always have, I don't know about you, but I have viewing parties. I have all my friends over and we watch the election. Um, because, mainly because nothing happens for such long periods. Who's going to be first? It's going to be Sunderland. It's always it's Sunderland. always Sunderland. Where they, yeah, absolutely. Until I watch it too, can't um, you? You know, do remember it's an important, important part of our of our lives. It's a very important election, and the um, the the election night coverage is is a high point. It's, you know, I'm looking forward to it, and I'm hoping that they've got another great bit of music. A little confession for me: um, uh, the election voted. I have voted. Yes, the general ele- last general election, um, I watched on an A and A flight. The, the coverage, the results for, on an A and A flight from Tokyo to London Heathrow. So imagine I got on a flight at. Got on the flight at eleven o'clock in the morning. It sorry, eleven o'clock in the morning in Tokyo time. So it was roughly about twelve o'clock. Sorry, uh, what one o'clock, two o'clock in the mo- in the morning. Yeah. So um, when, when the results were starting so when to the come results in. were coming in, I got on. The, I watched CNN for the full eleven and a half hours. My girlfriend was sitting me watching whilst I was watching CNN coverage <laughs> and of the whole election. So that's how gripped I was. I was um, I holiday watching election coverage. So it tells you a lot about the pull and appeal of election coverage. Yeah, so yeah. It wasn't BBC, but it was CNN. I think he just outnerded you. I know, I know. I I had a beer and I had some nuts and sat there watching and then the full and just sat there watching the full horror show of the evening. I'm going to have to kind of find some way of upping that. I'm going to get a a higher cinema um, for this selection. But then I looked up, I got up out of my chair and I spotted at least a third of the flight watching the CNN coverage of the UK election. You think it was an international flight. It was going to Dusseldorf, mm. not UK, to Dusseldorf. So everyone was connecting probably back to the UK or after that, mm. private people. So, so bit, yeah. I didn't know you could get live, um, live telly on a plane. You can get live CNN on A&A. Wow. That's, uh, that's good knowledge. So if you're travelling on the 12th of... December. This is not a cinema show. <laughs> you can, uh, yeah, that's the airline to go. But, um, you know, this is climate show. change. You recommend <sighs> flying as little as possible. Yeah. Um, right. So that is my choice. And we are coming to the end of the show. We've actually gone over We've our We've gone allotted, over our allotted spot. But we, so I'm just going to mention Bob Roberts. Uh, Bob which is like Roberts. the spinal tap of political satire, I think. Mm. Um, it certainly has that feel. Um, so uh, Tim Robbins, um, this was a character that started on Saturday Night Live, this Bob Roberts character, and he brought it to life as a film. Um, so basically, you know, this kind of, what I love is this idea that you can create this character, this kind of gladhander, you know, it's kind of um, talks about national pride and family values and all the kinds of things that you would expect in a, in a kind of respected political guy going for office. And then you realise underneath that he's actually a kind of a textbook of contempt mm. a textbook of all the things that are uh, not nice about politicians well i mean i have to say um, i i considered bob robertson and i know someone else has recommended this on twitter but i, I think the, the 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 possible complaint one can have about this film um is again this idea this thing that he is a republican you know politician who is you know a hypocrite and terrible and evil and all of the sort yeah. of possibly quite easy things that people oh yeah throw at right wing politics so the, i think if you're it's very much tim robbins possibly to preach, preaching to the converted here of like if you are a you know a liberal you'll watch that and you'll go yes that's what these evil sods are like um but i don't know if you'd actually convince anyone um i would argue though that this came out in 92 
And um, I don't think at the time necessarily you would see see it quite that way. Mm. But in hindsight, when you see um, the world of Glenn Beck and Donald Trump and Fox News and the kind of what's emerged in terms of the right wing, it was very much a precursor to some of that sort of slightly crazy um, in sort of in sort of establishmentarianism that exists that exists now. Mm-hmm. I don't. I, I think it is. It is. Uh, if you think of Tim Robbins' political viewpoints, yes, it is. It is laying it on, but it is very funny, mm-hmm. and it isn't it in that kind of um, some of the things that he does. Like he he takes he takes um, Bob Dylan tunes and re and re. You know, he could. He, That's right. He does a kind he, of Wall he Street guitar, one, doesn't he? With he, the... he has a um, he's a post Dylan title. The times are changing back, yes. <laughs> um, and then you know, and he, and he has um, we are marching for self self-interest will march forevermore uh-huh. you know so, so and uh, and there's some brilliant turns as well um especially alan rickman as his uh campaigns in Bengali, who's so alan rickman as a sen- uh, uh, hello um turning up and doing doing alan rickman in a slight american voice but it's still alan rickman yeah being being a being a campaign at Bengali. um the soundtrack yes. i was going to play some music from that the soundtrack of that isn't i can't get hold of it at the moment um but um, you know you can see a lot that he made some videos that were like MTV videos you can see on YouTube of the song. So so the character Bob Roberts is a he's a Democratic uh, sorry a Republican I think I'm assuming a candidate very yeah. conservative politician and he's uh, also a sort of a country western singer. Yeah. Um, and as you say, sort of sort of taking those protest songs and putting a slightly more. Which, so, which of a, course, a lot of these protest singers, a lot of these singers, absolutely love and adore when uh, right-wing politicians take their songs and use them for campaign purposes. Yeah, right. well, yeah. quite yes. I, I really like the film. Yeah, there you go. yeah, excellent, excellent. No, that is a, a, an excellent choice. And not number one; it's just a choice. It's a choice. Um, we are we are coming to the end of the show. I think we can give some honourable mentions. Um, we, there's still opportunity for you to to mention um, some choices of your own so do tweet us at screen brum if there's anything that you think we've we've brutally missed out um i want to play um a track that um that you wanted to play tim which is the donovan track and this is taken from shampoo now i have not seen this film and i feel embarrassed about it because i'm told it's very good is that right it's very good this is an election night film where warren Beatty plays a hairdresser um and but um and yeah and it's got some it's got some absolutely crack, cracking music on it so we'll play donovan and then we'll be back with our final uh, section of the show where we'll be talking honorable mentions of um election films and mentioning some of yours so let us know if there's any that uh, that you i think we've missed out juniper by donovan you're listening to the screen brum show we're the last little bit of the show here we're talking about elections um, Oops, and we were talking about whoever it is keeps banging that microphone. Apologies for listening at home to that uh, loud noise. Trust me, it's loudest in my headphones. Apologies to you all. It's um, not just you, Blake, is it? It's not just me. Um, so, um, we're talking about elections. We're just going to run through a few other ones perhaps we haven't mentioned. I've already talked about the Mancurian candidate, um, Bullworth, we've mentioned, or the President's Men. Um Veep, we've talked. I've talked about on the show before, and I think there's a whole series on there that's around an election, which is uh, brilliant. And I mean, it's it's just it's hilariously funny, you know that. And um, it's but it's populated by, again, you know, just just the worst people in the world, and it just creates that sense that, you know, politics is just awful. Um, Wag the dog, 
Um, that's another one um, which is uh, uh, Dustin Hoffman and Robert De Niro um, using, you know, again, it, it feels very prescient. So they're, they're, they're using a, a fake war to distract public opinion um, from a political scandal. These days, it sometimes feels like it's the other way around. But I think it's I, I think this whole thing um, about political scandals is interesting because we seem to be in a time now where they just don't matter anymore. You know, in, in you know, the, the types of things that in films people would have been desperate to cover up and would have been blackmailed by. They seem to just tweet out and it's fine. Um, and one other one that I'd recommend is um, a very British coup, the 1988 TV miniseries. Oh, I've got a shaking head. from. I forgot. You forgot about it. Oh, yeah. Um, 90, yeah um, it's based on Chris Mullins' novel um, with the screenwriter Alan Plater. The um, Chris Mullin, by the way, um, who was a, a, a Labour uh, minister, um, he was in the seat that got counted first. Wasn't that's he? right. He was, was the second. Sunderland. Yeah, Sunderland. Yeah. Um, he his diaries are worth a read if you've if you're interested in kind of the kind of sort of you know administrative kind of. Sort of slightly plodding nature of parliamentary politics, um, and it's quite reassuring. I think you know these just sort of people just doing their job, um, and and but he was obviously inside the the kind of make sort of makeover of the the Labour Party in the nineties and um, its role in government and and beyond. So I'd recommend that, and I'd recommend the TV series. It felt very unlikely at the time because it was about a left wing Labour leader getting a landslide um, election victory, um, you know, which at the time felt like a oh, left-wing Labour, who who can picture such a thing? Um, and it does end up with one of those going off the script things, which seems to be so common in these films. Your politician's going, I've got a script in front of me that says I'm going to say this, but I'm going to say something else. And then they, you know, they electrify people by saying what they mean. Um, to my knowledge, no one's ever actually done that in politics. But maybe no one would believe them. You know, no one would believe they've gone off strict and possibly for the right. Um, the whole thing is of a piece with the House of Cards, the British version of House of Cards at the same time, um, but much less cynical, um, possibly, about um, political ideology. It's one of these few ones where the actual ideology, whatever you think of it, of, of the protagonist is, is quite central as well so 